Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School podcast. This is episode 223. We're back, part two, Q&A special. I hope you enjoyed part one. We're just going to get straight into it because like part one, I think she's going to be meaty and juicy. So let's do it. Let's friggin' do it. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the warrior renaissance, the perfect training space, when to get a massage, why fasting is more stressful for women, and how to improve your sleep. Okay, let's freaking do this. Okay, question one was, can you talk about your reference to the reinvention of second life? Who, when, and why? So about a year ago, my dear friend and business coach, John Marsh, asked me four questions, and (laughs) which I can share with you. And I've spoken about Uh, these on the podcast before I've spoken about the idea of uh, a reinvention, creating our second life many times, uh, mostly probably as, uh, you know, an intro into a podcast episode or talking about like what's going on in my world or the world of Warrior School. So I like that, you know, we can talk about it as a standalone question. So about a year ago, I got asked these four questions. Who are you? What parts of you do you love? What parts of you do you keep hidden? Who are you really? (laughs) And let's just say that these four questions sent me into a black hole (laughs) for months I asked myself over and over again, who am I? Who am I really? What do I love about myself? What parts do I keep hidden about myself? Who am I? Who am I really? Who am I really? Who am I really? Who are you? Uh, These questions and the work that I was doing inside of Creator Club on character design And the work I was doing with John, my business coach on my business and warrior school and, you know, uh, the messaging side of things and the women that I work with uh, really got me thinking about this idea of reinvention. And so I walked around for months asking myself these four questions I was in a black hole. I was really stuck. I remember my dear friend Kitty one day via a voice message. She asked me how my reinvention was going. So for me, it was two pronged. So I was reinventing uh, warrior school or starting to think about its reinvention and what I wanted it to look like in a year, three years and five years. And then I was also going through a reinvention myself. 
And I was really looking at who am I outside of being a coach? You know, who do I want to be? And also, who do I need to be? Who do I need to become to be able to achieve my vision, my mission for my life and for my business for Warrior School? And recently on a podcast episode, I've talked about this idea of creating your version 2.0 or 4.0, that we need to get clear on our vision and what we want. And then our current version, she ain't going to get us there because if she could, we'd be there. So we need to reinvent ourselves. We need to become someone else to be able to achieve what we want. So I've been in this process for about a year now, and I feel like I'm only really still at the beginning uh, (laughs) of this reinvention, both in my personal life and in my business. So at the same time, I was also having a lot of conversations with my women. So I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of women over the last 14 years. I've had thousands of conversations You know, I get to work with a really uh, inspiring, cool group of women and I do one-on-one coaching work with them. And so I get to have a lot of conversations in a week, uh, in a month, in a year. And this kind of, you know, this idea of uh, not wanting to be fixed into a certain role or a certain mode the middle-aged mum mode who doesn't feel great in her body. This this wanting of more, you know, wanting to be able to uh, have energy, build insane strength, create the body that they love, uh, have powerful relationships, have confidence, uh, be able to hold, you know, this idea of health and performance, strength and beauty, power and passion. Uh, A lot of women were just talking about how their life just felt blah, just blah, like they were going through the motions and they wanted more, more from their life, more power, more confidence, more energy, you know, more, uh, like to be more vibrant, to be stronger, more passion. And so I, I was listening to these conversations and listening to what my women were sharing with me. And at this, and also at the same time, I came across, well, actually Ruby, who is John's wife, we did a podcast episode together and we did a podcast episode on character design because we do a lot of uh, world building stuff and character stuff inside of Creator Club. And in our conversation, I'm not sure if it was, we were recording at the time, but Ruby mentioned that there was this podcast episode or this podcast that was created by Hilary Kerr. Now, Hilary Kerr, she was the creator of uh, Who, What, Where I think that it was like an online clothing company. And so she created this podcast called Second Life, the Second Life podcast. And it was spotlighting successful women who've made major career changes and have really fearlessly mastered the pivot. 
So this idea of the pivot was first introduced to me uh, through Lululemon. It's kind of a very Lululemon phrase. Uh, This, you know, being able to pivot, uh, being agile. And so this is what her podcast is about. And I highly recommend, you know, if you are a woman who has a career or a business or is thinking about a career change, jump on and check out all of these amazing women's stories about their career changes, that they actually really mastered the pivot. And I thought, well, this is a really powerful idea or concept for all areas of our life, not just for our career. Also around the same time, I kind of love how uh, little dots connect. I often talk about connecting the dots. And so I had this these questions from John, my business coach, the work we were doing in Creator Club around character design. Then I had the conversation with Ruby where she introduced me to the Second Life podcast. I was having all of these conversations with my women who wanted more. You know, they, they wanted to become uh, confident, powerful women and they had big visions for, for their life, you know, but they didn't know how to get there. And then I was also introduced to Cezanne, which is a beautiful uh, Parisian uh, company, clothing company. And, you know, they talk a lot about this idea of a renaissance. And so I was like pulling words and you know me, I had post-it notes and my notepad. And so, you know, I had jotted down reinvention, second life, renaissance, uh, and then obviously I looked into, okay, what, what are their definitions? Like, what does reinvention mean? And it really means a new or second or repeated invention. So invent again or a new. And then a renaissance means a great period of revival of classical based art and learning in Europe that began in the 14th century. So literally, it means rebirth. And so I'm, okay, revival, uh, begin again, rebirth, uh, a new, second, repeated, invent again. And so I started to just really marinate on, I guess, all of these dots, uh, the questions that I was asked by John, the words And really think about, okay, well, what do they mean to me? And not only just for me and my reinvention and what I'm creating with Warrior School, but for the women that I'm working with, how can I bring this, these ideas, these concepts and really lead these women, you, (laughs) all of my warriors listening, uh, through this reinvention because In order to achieve the vision, as I've said, uh, we need to become the woman that one, believes that she is capable of achieving it. And two, we need to become the woman that actually does the things that moves us towards the vision. And so... In our end of year event last year in Warrior School, we 
I pulled in a few powerful women and we spoke about this idea of building powerful relationships. And Ruby was one woman who spoke and, you know, she does a lot of character work. And so through character work, we can really start to explore this new potential, uh, this, you know, what does version 4.0 look like? And we can introduce this idea that you are the leading character in your life. And what role do you want to play? What is your version 4.0? Who do you need to become in order to achieve what you want to achieve in your life? And really, that is a rebirth. It is a reinvention. And you reinvent yourself because you want to be the best version of yourself. You want to be that version 4.0. And you can take everything with you that you want to take with you, that you know that's going to help you get where you want to go. And then you leave behind anything that you don't want, (laughs) anything that's kind of like dead weight that ain't helping you get where you want to go. And, you know, these are the beliefs that I want to bring. This is the story I want to bring. Uh, These are the traits in my character that I want to bring. You know, this is the actions or behaviors that I want to bring. And then, you know, these are the feelings that I want to bring. And then we can do the 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 other, which is these are things that I don't want to bring. Uh, maybe what I'm currently doing at version baseline or version 1.0 that aren't serving me. Uh, and it's not really about improving yourself. Like I need to be better. It's about redoing who you are and reinventing you from the ground up. So I've spoken a little bit before about this idea of vision and how I believe, you know, when we think about vision and, and we, we're thinking of creating kind of that confidently ever after, or we're even thinking about who we want to become, a lot of the time it's based on the culture, Uh, especially now in the technology age, whether we're consciously or subconsciously aware of it, but we're so influenced by society, by the culture. And then we've got the other layer, which is, you know, our upbringing. So the worldview, the belief systems that were, you know, presented to us and laid out to us when, you know, we were growing up. And so if you you think about your current life, a lot of us, well, all of us are, we run this program. This program's been running and we have an identity that we have been living and, you know, the program we've been running or the life we've been living, you know, who our character is right now, our version 1.0 has created, you know, I guess the level of success that we currently have. You know, it's created our current reality. And one of the things that's really challenging for us is when we think of this idea of reinvention, we have to let go of what is uh, of what is not working in order to go to the next level. And the problem that most of us have is that the human brain is really resistant to change. <laughs> it's designed that way. Uh, and it's a totally normal thing. It's designed to survive. And so it's it's quite resistant to this idea of reinventing you, rebirthing you. Maybe in order to do that, we have to change a lot about our life. 
we have to ask ourselves hard questions. Uh, We have to look at, you know, how we're actually living. All of these things are like big, big things, big, scary things. And sometimes we don't like what we see. And women have this, I don't know, it's this, it's kind of a weird thing where we like to really turn and avoid. We'll avoid the discomfort. We'll avoid, I guess it's not just a female thing. It's a, I guess, a, a human brain thing. But I work only with women. So uh, I see a lot of avoidance, uh, avoiding the friction, avoiding the resistance. And as I always say to my women, we need to turn around, we've got to face it, and we've got to lean into that. Now, what if what you're doing now is working? You know, it seems to be working. And for a lot of us, yeah, we go through life and it, it works, you know. We have good days, we have bad days, it feels pretty good. You know, we're, we would say we're pretty happy. You know, what we're doing is comfortable, it's routine, Uh, it does bring us pleasure and it keeps us safe and we have this sense of, I guess, stability. So the brain really sees no reason to change. And the cognitive dissonance in a reinvention is very challenging because we have a certain set of belief systems that we have believed and confirmed and have tons of evidence for. And when we start thinking new thoughts that are in contradiction to those thoughts, it will be really uncomfortable. And this uh, cognitive dissonance creates more resistance. So really part of the process is understanding your resistance to that change, your resistance to being that uh, next version that 3.0 in or that 2.0 on your way to get to that 4.0 even though yes it sounds amazing you know and a lot of women get really excited by the vision work by getting really clear on their you know their 4.0 of this idea of being able to reinvent yourself Uh, and they they want to do it they want to go for it but then they get really stuck because they're not sure why they feel that resistance. You know, they feel a little overwhelmed by the idea of, you know, working towards that 4.0. They're not sure exactly actually what to do (laughs) with like how to reinvent themselves. And there's a couple of things to this. One is that This is why I believe every woman needs to train. She needs a training practice through a training practice. So through my work with a woman over the year, and this is why I ask for a minimum time investment of a year. Yes, we focus on the how. So the how would be the training, the nutrition strategy, you know, certain mindset strategies and plans and, you know, it's, it's on the doing, but What we also really work on is the who and who she needs to become over that year to move towards where she wants to be. So I'm really focusing on the who uh, to make the vision happen. And then the work is in the how. 
because the how is going to help us actually get the results. But the transformation really is in the who, who we become. We become the woman that trains three times a week. We become the woman who has more energy. We become the woman who builds insane strength. We become the woman who creates a body she loves. We become the woman who believes she's capable of achieving what she wants. And the medium, the how, I believe the most powerful one is through training. Okay, so we have this idea of the the transformation of, okay, we're at A, we want to get to B, we're at version 1.0, we want to get to version 4.0 to get, you know, the bridge is a reinvention, a rebirth, this idea of a renaissance. And we need to look at the how. So how do we do it? Okay, well, we have training as one part, but there's so many more things in that. We've got uh, the mindset work, the coaching work, We've got all of these other areas that we can look at in our life. How do we want to, what's our character like? How do we want to dress? How do we want to speak? How do we want to, what's our energy like? How do we want to feel, you know, when we walk into a room, what, you know, how do we walk into the room? Uh, All of these things that I speak about with Ruby. So I highly recommend you go back and listen to the podcast episode with Ruby on character design. When we're reinventing, we are reinventing, yes, who we are, but we're reinventing our whole life, you know, all of those prongs of the umbrella. We probably need to reinvent our environment if we want to become version 4.0. We probably need to reinvent our relationships or how we relate, how we communicate if we want to become our version 4.0. You know, if we, you know, want to create a a certain body, okay, well, we need to reinvent uh, how we train, sleep, eat, manage our stress. Uh, And so often if if the idea of a, a reinvention or a rebirth feels overwhelming, it's just mostly because we don't know how to move forward or that moving forward towards our vision is going to require us to become a different version of ourselves which is pretty scary Uh, and so this is why our end of year event inside of warrior school this year is called your second life the warrior renaissance because a lot of women that I work with are in their 40s and and I'm not saying we we get to our 40s and then you know we, we want a reinvention and not every woman maybe wants to reinvent her life. I believe actually we go through many reinventions, many deaths and rebirths in our life. Uh, I've been through many and I'll go through many more, I'm sure, you know, in the future in my life, some bigger than others, but there's this kind of, I believe there's this big one, this big one that like, we can, if we can grab onto it, then we get to create this really powerful second life. The other day, I was just speaking to a neighbor and he asked me what I did. And I was talking about my work, you know, warrior school and most of the women that I work with, they're in their late 30s or their 40s, you know, mid, early, mid to late 40s. Some women I work with are in their 50s. And I was talking about this idea 
you know, we got to talking about our mums and how when, and it actually came up in one of the uh, Confidently Ever After uh, events, I asked this question to my warriors, which was, who do you never want to become? Now, I don't think anyone said their mum, but they, what came up is that if we look to our parents, uh, particularly our mum or women, you know, our, our mum's age, and, I, and I've spoken recently about this idea how it's all downhill after 40, like everything slows down, you know, we, uh, all of our attention and focus should go to everyone else because that's the nice thing to do. Uh, you know, we're going to get slower, we're going to gain weight, we're going to lose our sex drive, we're going to get tired all the time. And so, and this is how, you know, a lot of, this is how a lot of our parents uh you know, you often hear it's because I'm old or it's because I'm, you know, in my 40s or my 50s or my 60s. And so I want to reinvent that story for women. And I believe that we have a sweet spot and that's in our 40s. For a lot of women I work with, their mums, their kids are old enough now that, uh, you know, they can navigate parts of their, their lives themselves. And so these women have more space. Maybe you have more space. But what often has happened is that your attention and focus has been on everyone else for so long that when you do have more space, there's this overwhelming feeling of like, who am I? Who am I? Who, what do I want to do? Uh, I don't know what to do now because I'm no longer needed as much as I was needed before. And so we need to think of this idea of, okay, you're going to create your second life. And I'm not saying we just have two lives, you know, two lives, one before menopause and one after. We'll have many lives, but I'm talking about this big, pivotal kind of sweet spot moment in our 40s that we can carve a new path, a new story for women, and we can show our, our girls that you can reinvent yourself. You can create your second life. You can, you know, reinvent again. You can revive. You can rebirth. You can pivot. You can, you know, make major changes in your life. You can decide that you want to become your version 4.0 to achieve your vision. So that's what we're doing. And that's our end of year event. It's on that. So we're going to go across two days. We're going through this whole idea of creating your second life, this idea of a reinvention. We're going to break it down uh, and it's going to be a really powerful few days. Okay, question two, what does a perfect training space look and feel like? This is a really cool question. And this question was asked by my dear friend, Michael, who is an architect. I've spoken about Michael before in the podcast because Michael, there's just people that I have in my life that are such deep thinkers and ask brilliant questions like I love good question askers 
And Michael is a brilliant question asker. Uh, And so he asked me this question, of course, because he's an architect. uh, And I'm actually, I'm not going to go too deep into it because I'm actually going to get Michael on the podcast and I want to talk to him uh, about this question, also about space, environments, design, and because that plays such a big role in many areas of our lives. You know, we all live in houses or apartments or we have a home, uh, which is an environment and a space, and we train in environments and spaces. And so I want to get him on and I want to talk about this question of what does a perfect training space look and feel like? Also, what does the perfect space look and feel like? You know, when you think about your home, uh, designing your home, renovating your home, you know, buying a new home, uh, building a home. So I'm really excited. We've just got to tee that up because I want to use his lingo because I could try. (laughs) And when I was prepping for this podcast, I think I spent like 45 minutes or 60 minutes like researching kind of architecture and spaces and then I found myself looking at the most beautiful gym and training spaces in the world and you know I was really trying to look at the the environment and the the lines and the light and all of this stuff and but I was like I have no lingo to share with you when it comes to uh describing a space and its look and its feel its design so Michael you're gonna come on and you're gonna talk about it with me what I will say on this topic is that environment is really powerful I believe I've spoken about it before on the podcast around the importance of a clean environment Uh, I think I've referenced this idea of a clean kitchen that you should never go to bed with a dirty kitchen. And because the subconscious knows that it's dirty, so there is an open loop in the mind and it's all around loops. And so even though consciously you might be cool with a dirty kitchen, uh, on a subconscious level, the mind is not okay with that because the loop is open that the kitchen needs cleaning. And so when you think of your environment, think of, you know, he actually was, he told a story in the email around how he was training out of his uh, garage and, you know, his wife wanted to join him but there was clutter and shit everywhere. And she was like, I'm not training in this space. And he was like, doesn't that sound quite funny coming from an architect that just had this garage that was just, you know, cluttered and there was shit everywhere. And it wasn't a great training environment. And uh, his wife didn't want to train there. And often it's the kind of the chaos or the stress that gets created on a nervous system level when we're in an environment that isn't clean. 
uh, that if, if it's cluttered and dirty and messy, that creates a lot of open loops in the brain. And I was actually on a coaching call with one of my warriors uh, the other day and we were talking about, we're trying to work through some challenges and obstacles when it came to her food, nourishing herself. And one of the obstacles was that her kitchen wasn't clean, so she didn't want to cook in it. And so that was her project that she had for the weekend was to clean her kitchen. Now we worked through, you know, why, you know, why wasn't it clean? What's the barrier or the obstacle to keeping it clean? But one thing that I really spoke about with her is that, yes, it's stopping you from cooking meals, cooking food, which is then impacting your energy. But also it's actually on a subconscious level, you've got this loop open because you know that you need to do it, but you're not doing it. So therefore the loop is going to stay open, which is going to leak a lot of energy and open loops leak energy. So this is like unfinished tasks, uh, uh, cluttered environments, mess, uh, you know, conversations that you need to have, but you're not having, uh, you know, training that you need to be doing, but you're not doing all of this stuff Uh, is creating open loops which leak energy and the whole goal is one to try and bring as much energy in to ourselves as we can but two it's to actually plug those energy leaks and a lot of this stuff is in our control our environment what our space looks like and feels like is in our control and it does matter And so, you know, we need to think about things like lighting, natural lighting, plants, clean lines, uh, you know, uh, tidiness, uh, all of these things that I'm sure an architect thinks about a lot when they're designing a space, which uh, we'll get into with Michael. For me, my perfect training space, like I have a really big thing with environments, like the environment is really important to me. Like when we bought this uh, apartment, we, it had to be South facing. And so I got the, the light and the sun last year at our creator club event, Michael actually was looking for an Airbnb for a group of us to stay at. And he sent me this Airbnb and it was like dark and a little dingy. It didn't have enough light. And I had, I was coming from here. And so it starts to get a little gray from, you know, September, late September. And so I would have been in, you know, the gray for a couple of months already. And I said to him, nope, can't stay there because it's too dark and too dingy for me. Uh, I need to stay somewhere where it's lighter and brighter. He thought that was quite funny. Uh, And then he's seen my training space here before. uh, And we've had multiple conversations about, you know, the, the, the music, the sounds, uh, the look, the feel of certain spaces. And I'm quite sensitive to things like that. Like I don't like loud music, only like certain types of music. Like most of the time I can train in silence. Uh, I don't wear earphones at the gym. Uh, you know, at home I trained in silence. Uh, at home I had, you know, the setup here in this beautiful apartment space with light and plants you know wooden floors 
So when I was thinking about my perfect training space, one space that came to mind is Praxis. Praxis is a gym in Canberra and it's beautiful. I highly recommend that you jump on. Uh, I'll pop the link uh, to it in the show notes. But it is movement gyms are actually quite stunning. And when I talk about a movement gym, I'm talking about not a commercial gym. So movement gyms do a lot of uh, gymnastic strength training, hand balancing, locomotion. They do do strength training, but they tend to be very open spaces. There's a lot of wood or you know wooden floors so we can do locomotion and slide around on the floor easily. There's a lot of plants, you know they often have stall bars which are you know these wooden gymnastic bars. They, they're using gymnastics rings which are hung from the roof. So they tend to have higher ceilings, big open windows, open spaces. Uh, you know they're very kind of wood and green a lot of natural lighting, a lot of clean lines, so not a lot of clutter, not a lot of equipment everywhere. They tend to not be very dark. Um, You know, some might have really high ceilings, a lot of trusses on the ceilings. Uh, And so that's kind of like what my perfect training space would look like and feel like. It's, It's open it's bright there's a lot of natural light sunlight even comes into the space plants so a lot of green uh, a lot of clean lines uh, lightness brightness wood uh, (laughs) these words that are kind of I guess just the the average Joe lingo for architecture and spaces is what comes to mind but Michael and I will do a podcast together And we'll talk about um, spaces at home, training spaces, how we can make our space feel and look better. And I'm sure Michael has very, you know, some cool stuff on very small details that could probably make a massive impact to a space. Okay, the next question is, when's the best time to get a massage? Uh, Which is a cool question. And Carson and I, so Carson is an RMT, which is kind of like a cross between a physio and a myotherapist here in Canada. Uh, And so he treats uh, all day, (laughs) a lot of people, Uh, and he does mostly uh, sports, uh, sports therapy, sports massage. He really loves pain and injury, which you probably heard about on our podcast uh, that we did together. And we... It made me laugh when I got this question because he hates giving relaxation massages (laughs) to people that uh, don't exercise and won't do their exercises that are prescribed from the practitioners and sit all day. So basically lazy people. (laughs) Uh, And he doesn't like it. He hates when people come and say, I've just got like neck tension Uh, and trap tension and you know I just want a relaxation massage and most of these most of the time these people aren't doing uh, other things to help the problem now it's a different story if you're using massage as a tool to support your training and recovery and you have a training practice and or you are doing the exercises prescribed by other practitioners uh, 
and you're not sitting all day, you're managing your stress, like you've got a strong foundation. And I think that's the main, I know the question is, when's the best time to get a massage? But I wanted to speak to this idea of people just wanting to go to a practitioner for the practitioner to fix them uh, or for them to just get a relaxation massage that, you know, yes, in the short term, it provides relief. It can provide relief. I'm not saying treatment isn't uh, sometimes warranted or necessary uh, or that it isn't helpful. It totally is. It's all of those things. But it can't be the only thing that you're doing to manage your problem or your pain or your discomfort. It will not work in the long term. You need an actual, you need to be building a foundation. And so you need to be looking at your sleep, your stress, your food. Do you get out and walk every day? Do you see sunlight? Do you have a training practice, a strength practice that's strengthening your body? I've never experienced neck and upper trap tension ever. And I believe it's because I have got a really strong foundation. I know how to manage my stress. I walk and I train. Mostly I believe it's because I'm strong. And so we can use things like massage, needling, IMS, acupuncture, uh, you know, all of these these treatments or tools, they, they are tools that we use alongside our foundational work, our training practice. You cannot just put all the eggs in the, I'm just going to go and get a massage to help me with this problem. It doesn't work. Okay, so now that we're like, all right, so it's a tool. It's an amazing tool. When I was Olympic weightlifting and I was training like three or four hours a day, six days a week, I would get a massage once a week, like a deep tissue relaxation massage, often at the end of my training week at night before I went to bed uh, because of what, and I'm not going to be able to speak to this as powerfully because I don't know the exact you know, thing that happens when we get that deep tissue relaxation massage, but you know how you get that kind of wave of tiredness or it's almost like the body's like detoxing, like you get the the sinuses or your nose starts to run and then like you have a really great sleep. I used to get that, you know, Belinda in Melbourne, she was an amazing um, massage therapist. And so I used to see her once a week, if not once a fortnight, and just use it um, as a recovery tool just to get my nervous system in a deeply relaxed state uh, for my recovery day or days at the end of my training week and also to help me sometimes with some niggles that came up. So she was quite sports focused and so she worked on specific areas just to help me relieve you know, tension within specific areas. But That was alongside me doing a shitload of mobility, stability work, and all of my training work, my sleep, my nutrition, my walking. All right, so we're going to use it as a tool, and I'm all for that. If you love getting a massage 
And it's like an hour or an hour and 15, an hour and a half where you get to protect that time. And this is like your thing that you love to do. It helps you downregulate your nervous system. You get a lot out of that kind of human touch uh, um, treatment or connection go for it. Now, when's the best time? You don't want to do it before a training session. You don't want to get a massage and then be in that very down-regulated state. And, you know, the tissues are all beautiful and pliable and delicious. And then you don't want to go and train. So not before a training session. After a training session would be the best time. If it is a really deep tissue relaxation massage later in the day uh, you know early evening tends to be a really great time I do not have a scientific explanation for you as to why I believe that but it has to do with kind of that response that it triggers within the nervous system that down regulated um, deep relaxation response uh, I guess for some people it's kind of like having a bath uh, it's really hard to kind of turn on again and you know do life when you're in that deeply down regulated state so I would recommend afternoon early evening time evening time before bed uh, to 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 get the most out of that down regulated state uh, at the end of a week is kind of really cool like the end of your training week you know you've done all your training uh, you know, to kind of wrap up and finish off the week to head into your recovery day or days. Uh, it might be a nice thing to do to get a massage then. But there's no, I looked in the literature and really there's no one best time, you know, best time of day or a best time of week or a time of cycle or anything like that. It's use it as a tool when you need, uh, if it's for some pain or discomfort, if it's to help recovery or if it's to help aid, you know, to help you downregulate, uh, you know, all of those reasons are totally cool. Maybe get it later in the day, early evening so you can get, can get the benefits out of that downregulated nervous system state that you get into. Then it's also dependent on what kind of massage you're getting. Yeah, if you're getting a very specific area treated as well, uh, that could change, you know, change maybe when you do it and how you approach it. But I would assume this question was more so like full body, deep, deep relaxation massage. Uh, so no one best time, use it as a tool with your foundational work. Uh, and I would recommend doing it in the afternoon and early evening. Okay, the next question is, why is fasting more stressful for women than men? Okay, I believe I've done a podcast episode on fasting before. Ooh, what podcast episode is that? I think it's like episode 34. Yes, it's episode 34, why I don't recommend fasting. I also believe I've spoken about this idea of low energy availability. So a question was asked in the first Q&A special that I did. So it would be episode 144 
on, you know, is it possible to do a sport like CrossFit or training like CrossFit and still be healthy? So I spoke about uh, training hard and low energy availability. It's at uh, minute 40 and 55 seconds. If you want to kind of fast forward episode 144 to uh, minute 40, that's where I start to speak about CrossFit and low energy availability. But let's talk about fasting. So Carson actually asked me this question. Right now we're doing Warrior Queen 2.0 play to win. And it has three levels. And level two and level three are doing this cycle syncing and intermittent energy restriction approach. Uh, And so what that is, is that we're uh, creating a food strategy if we're cycling. So if we're menstruating with our cycle. And if we're not, we're doing like an intermittent energy restriction phase for two weeks and then they're at maintenance for two weeks. So these women in that are playing at level two and level three have a really strong foundation. They've been with me for a minimum of, you know, 12 months. Most of them, if not, you know, most of them have been with me for two years, two and a half, if not, you know, three years. <laughs> uh, and so really strong foundation. And now, you know, we want, we want big body composition changes. So there's this really cool, I guess, approach or strategy that comes from Matador, the Matador study, which was done on males, uh, obese males, but it has some, uh, some cool principles in it around this idea of intermittent energy restriction. And so what we're doing is... Uh, for us in our cycle, we're doing around two weeks, you know, maybe 14 to 18 days in a deficit that has been created based on, you know, our energy requirements and, and what we need that I'm, I'm doing. I've worked out individualized strategies for all of my women and then they go back up to maintenance. And so basically, you, you know, some of the research out there says that, it's more beneficial to cycle deficits than to be in one constant deficit. So to give the body a bit of time to, you know, come back up to maintenance, to recover. And actually, because in the second half of our cycle, that our resilience and tolerance to stress can be a bit lower because of the hormonal changes. Uh, You know, we're in that high hormone phase, that that second phase is a good phase to come back up to maintenance and even eat a little bit extra because our resting metabolic rate is a little bit higher. And then when we're in that first phase of our cycle where our resilience and tolerance to stress is a little bit better, we could go through a deficit. And so we could actually, you know, reduce our calories uh, to help us create that body composition change and then cycle back up into maintenance. And so this is what uh, my women are doing or some of them are doing for 10 weeks. And so I'm also doing it, Uh, one, to support them uh, and, you know, to be able to speak to the the strategy behind cycle syncing the the food uh, and or doing intermittent energy restriction. So if a, a woman doesn't have a natural cycle, we're doing two weeks at a deficit, two weeks at maintenance and going through that cycle. And so Carson's also doing it. <laughs> he's, we're, you know, we're tracking our food and he's in a deficit. 
and he's had two kind of really big realizations or learnings. <laughs> One is that he cannot believe how much food he can actually eat, even in a deficit. He's never tracked his food before. So he's learning a lot, um, which is super cool. And he said it about three times this week already. Like, I cannot believe how much food I can eat, even on like he's on a pretty big deficit because uh, male bodies can are a bit more resilient uh, and tolerant to fasting than women's bodies, which we're going to talk about today. And so he's on quite a significant deficit, but he can eat still quite a lot of food. And he's just like, when you eat good whole food, like when you cook your food, you can eat a lot of food. And I'm like, I know, right? This is what I tell my women all the time, women that think maybe they eat enough. But I'm like, if you're cooking your meals uh, and you know, you're not eating out, you're not eating takeaway, you're not eating processed foods... I would argue whether or not you're actually eating enough food. So many women are in low energy availability. If you do some tracking, you really realize how much food you can actually eat. Like it's a lot of food. So that's one realization. And then the second was around, he asked me this question, like why is my body maybe okay with a, a bigger deficit than your body because my deficit is nowhere near as big as his. Uh, one, I don't have massive body composition goals, so I'm not in a big deficit, uh, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about fasting because it's a trend. It's been around a while. It's a macro trend, I would say, and it's very popular, but despite its popularity, we're going to discuss some things about it. <laughs> We're going to discuss the fact that most research on intermittent fasting, now there's multiple types of fasting. Uh, and so I'm going to talk about mostly intermittent fasting. So this idea of, you know, or time restricted feeding, which is like eat within a window or like fast for a certain amount of hours. Most of that research is done on men. And most of the research originally was done on obese men. Few studies really look at uh, or account for the differences in women's biology. Uh, as we've talked about before, only 6% of sport and exercise science research between 2014 and 2021 was done on women. So there also ain't a lot uh, on fasting on women and its effects on our metabolism and our physiology. And our physiology is very different from males. <laughs> so uh, potentially what we could hypothesize or say is that intermittent fasting could affect us very differently to what they're finding in the studies and the research, which is done on males, mostly obese males. Okay, so I've talked about it a little bit before that when you talk about fasting, there's kind of two sides or two camps or a couple of different standpoints or viewpoints. You've got the one side, which is the longevity space, you know, the longevity researchers, uh, you know, that talk a lot about the benefits of fasting from a health standpoint, a longevity standpoint. Uh, and then we've kind of got the other side, which is like 
you know, the fitness culture dieting side, which is doing it for to control weight, essentially for weight loss. Now, from a health standpoint, uh, IF can be useful. And this is mostly true for a general pop who aren't very active and they're really struggling with metabolic diseases. However, if you dig a bit deeper, if you look a bit deeper and look at the longevity data in terms of both IF and exercise, they're both beneficial. Uh, But we don't really get any additional benefits from layering intermittent fasting on top of exercise, which I all know, I know that a lot of you do, a lot of women that I have worked with and a lot of women actually do are doing the exercise thing, but then they're also layering all of this fasting and intermittent fasting on top of their exercising. And often a lot of women that do this aren't actually struggling with a massive metabolic diseases. They're not massively above maybe their healthy body weight. And so it is creating a bit of stress, which we're going to talk about. So when you dig into the research and the longevity data that the biggest thing, the most powerful, potent thing that we can do for longevity, for health, is exercise. And Dr. Peter Atia talks about this all of the time. Uh, I highly recommend his new book. Uh, I forget what it's called. Carson just listened to it on audiobook. Uh, I've read it. It's hefty. It's like, it's very sciencey. He's a very sciencey guy, but, and I don't agree with everything that he says and does, but a lot of his work is super cool. And he speaks a lot about longevity, a lot about health uh, and uh, really health span, not lifespan. So this idea of, okay, we don't want to just um, increase the number of years that we live. We want to increase the quality of those years the the years that we're healthy Uh, and so he says and from all of his work and research uh, is that exercise is the number one thing that we need to be doing so if you're already exercising it's not a particularly helpful thing to do if and if you're a woman who is um you know, exercising quite a lot or an athlete and you're adding intermittent fasting on top of that, it can be really harmful to both your performance and health. A lot of females are in low energy availability, which means they're not eating enough to support their metabolic function, their physiology, and then they're training on top of this. And so the energy has to go to the training. So then they don't have a lot of energy left over to support the metabolic function. So our hormones, like our reproductive system, is really sensitive to stress and being in low energy availability is stressful. So our hypothalamus, which is in our brain, turns down the production of our hormones. So basically the hypothalamus will signal the, you know, the ovaries to be like, ah, 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 this is really stressful. So we're going to turn down FSH, which pulses for estrogen, turn down LH, which pulses for um, progesterone. And so therefore we're not going to ovulate and potentially we're not going to menstruate because we're under stress. 
Stress includes calorie and food restriction, which is what often happens with this intermittent fasting. So actually a lot of women aren't eating enough food and then they're restricting their time of eating even further. And so then therefore that potentially is restricting their calorie and food intake even more. And our hormones are very sensitive to how much food we put in the body. So if we participate in really extended fasts and remember if you go to sleep, you know, and you stop eating maybe at 8 p.m. and you don't eat again until the next morning, like at 6 p.m., that's a long time. We're literally fasting for at least 8, 9, 10, 11 hours a night anyway. So our there's a hormone and that hormone stimulates the release of LH, which is luteinizing hormone, and FSH. And, they, and this hormone stimulates it from our pituitary gland and it's sensitive to stress. And so even short-term fasts can start to play around with this pulse system and it can mess around with our cycle. Like our cycle, our menstrual cycle is very sensitive to low energy availability. So when we look at some earlier, you know, when I dug into the research and looked at some earlier kind of cellular research, uh, it was found that uh, gene alterations to improve fertility was five times greater in males than females. And gene alterations to reduce fertility occurred in females. So when we see this in, um, we see this in current research studies of low energy availability. The threshold for the onset of like dysfunction or endocrine dysfunction, which is like metabolic dysfunction, is 30 to 35 calories per kilo of fat-free mass in women. That's kind of like our, when we start to see dysfunction. So when the researchers have looked at REDS, so relative, relative energy deficiency in sport, uh, and they're looking at low energy availability, what they have found is that the threshold where we cannot go below um, or where they start to see symptoms is 30 to 35 calories per kilo of fat-free mass in women. We're actually recommended 40 to 45 calories per kilo of fat-free mass, but they don't see these endocrine dysfunctions in males until around 15 calories per kilo of fat-free mass in men. So that's a huge difference. And the difference comes down to the HPG axis. So that hypothalamic pituitary, pituitary gonadal axis, which is responsible for regulating those key hormones uh, that are involved in functions like appetite control, our reproductive, um, you know, our, our fertility, the, the creation of the menstrual cycle. So the effect of uh, negative energy balance is thought to work through kispeptin. Kiss uh, and I believe I spoke about kispeptin a little bit in the original podcast episode that I did, episode 34, I think it was. And it's such a cool name. I remember it from my prior uh, research, kispeptin. It sounds so cool. And it's really a neuropeptide that's responsible for sex hormones and our endocrine and reproductive function. 
So it also plays a really important role in maintaining our glucose levels. It also plays a role in appetite regulation and our body composition. And it's actually more sensitive in women than men. So when it gets messed with, uh, our sex hormones aren't produced as well. We're not, uh, we don't release them when they need to be released. Our glucose levels get mucked up and our appetite regulation can go really wacky as well. So intermittent fasting, uh, keto diet, they, or they disrupt kisspeptin production. And when our brain perceives to have a deficiency in nutrients or energy, especially carbohydrate, we have a reduction in this kisspeptin stimulation, which uh, not only increases our appetite, but also reduces our sensitivity to insulin. And this is why research shows that intermittent fasting is more likely to cause impaired, impaired glucose intolerance in women, but not men. So this is kind of how it plays into messing up our, um, our blood sugar levels, our blood glucose levels. So then what happens when we layer exercise stress on top of the stress of denying our bodies enough food? (laughs) So cortisol levels rise even higher. And as you keep increasing that stress, it keeps your sympathetic drive high and it reduces your ability to relax. So then your thyroid is depressed, which messes with the menstrual cycle and your body starts storing more belly fat. This is why, you know, one of the, the hardest things for people to kind of understand is this idea of I could be eating not enough, but I could be still gaining weight. And this is where this calories in, calories out uh, debate is, it becomes a little gray. Like it's not as easy as that because we've got all of these hormones playing and playing into it. We've got cortisol, we've got the drive, the sympathetic drive, the stress, then we've got the mess with the thyroid. Uh, And so the body can be storing fat, even though we're not feeding it enough food. So now we're looking at disrupted menstrual cycles, higher levels of anxiety and stress, and then we've got impaired performance, we've got weight gain, uh, pretty much the opposite of what most women are looking for. And those that are listening, maybe you've experienced this. Yeah, there's times that you were fasting, you were training a lot, uh, and you just couldn't lose weight, especially you couldn't lose weight in your abdomen, in your belly. You couldn't lose that belly fat. This is pretty much why. Uh, and so the ketogenic diet, the ketogenic diet has very similar effects on women, especially women athletes. They're starting to do a little bit more research on female athletes. Uh, and they see more benefits in males, again, in obese males. And some women have said to me before, no, I feel really good. Like I feel really good when I intermittent fast or I feel really good when I'm on ketogenic. And they, they really believe that these diets work really well. And what I've seen is that they do. Yeah, they do for the first three, four, five, maybe six months. Uh, and any diet will work. Uh, you know, any kind of training program, diet, it will work at the start. Uh, but then what we realize is that actually our amazing bodies and physiology is actually quite complex. And what we're doing is actually not working for us. We start to see some breakdown in our biofeedback. 
And so, yes, we might be able to yield some short-term benefits, but long-term, the effects for women, especially female athletes, is mostly a disruption, a metabolic dysfunction, increases in abdominal fat, more depression, uh, reduced performance, uh, all of the things that we don't want. So females and female athletes perform far better in a fed state (laughs) we need to eat and what is important is that we're eating enough food it's balanced frequently over the day we're hitting all of our macronutrients we're timing our nutrition properly before and after our training We do better in a fed state and we will be in a fasted state overnight. You'll be fasting for at least eight or 10 hours. So I would say that is intermittent fasting, (laughs) sleeping. Uh, And so hopefully that's helpful. You can also go back and listen to episode 34. Okay, last one, warrior. How do I improve my sleep? I've actually had a lot of conversations this month on sleep. And I kind of feel like it comes at big seasonal shifts. You know, we're we're going through a seasonal shift as in the the south is going to come into spring and summer, the north is going into fall and winter. And I find that I always have big conversations around sleep, energy, uh, and managing stress with big seasonal shifts. So on sleep, what I will say is that I highly recommend that you go and listen to Dr. Andrew Huberman's Huberman Lab podcast on Sleep Toolkit, Tools for Optimizing Your Sleep. And I'll pop it in the show notes. It's a fantastic podcast that goes into great detail uh, on this sleep toolkit. Today in our conversation, I'll take you through three phases, the three phases that I kind of go through when I lead women in their health and their training. And when we're looking at sleep, I kind of have a process that I take them through. And we'll also look at some tools that potentially could help you optimize your sleep. Also, if you haven't read the book uh, by Matthew Walker, I believe it's called Why We Sleep. I highly recommend that you check her out. I love the way that he describes sleep. He describes sleep as this incredibly complex physiological ballet, which is so cool. It's such a cool visual. And he talks about sleep as having an architecture and that it's important to help us physically heal, recover from illness, deal with stress, solve problems, consolidate memories, and improve motor skills. And that a good night's sleep isn't just about how many hours of sleep you get, so the quantity, it's also about the quality of sleep. And I just spoke about that on a recent podcast episode, talking about my WHOOP and my project of really trying to increase my uh, my deep restorative sleep, my REM sleep. So there are two essential kinds of sleep, non-rapid eye movement sleep and rapid eye movement sleep, uh, known as REM sleep. 
So that non-rapid eye movement sleep helps our body wind down and fall into deep sleep, which then allows us to feel more rested in the morning. So it really helps us physically heal and recover from illness, deal with stress, solve problems. So it's the sleep that will help us recover from our training. It also does play a role in uh, this memory consolidation uh, and it can help boost our immune system. Then we have REM and REM uh, sleep affects our mood, our memory and our learning efficiency. So getting enough REM sleep can improve uh, memory recall, memory consolidation and really help our brain uh, regulate when it comes to, to learning and memory. So what affects sleep or what modulates sleep? So we've got uh, circadian rhythm or light dark, so light exposure, temperature, so the body temperature and the temperature of the room, our food, our training, uh, stimulants like caffeine, supplements, digital tools. Uh, these are things that modulate and we can manipulate to impact our sleep and so again light dark exposure temperature food exercise stimulants like caffeine supplements and digital tools so when i'm helping a warrior improve her sleep i normally do it through three phases three different phases so the first phase is looking at her foundation. So thinking of it as your pyramid and looking at those modulators of sleep. In particular, I really focus on movement or exercise and food. So if you don't have a strong foundation, you're you're not going to have great sleep and putting a band-aid on it by taking you know, medication or taking a supplement is that it's a band-aid. What we really need to be looking at is, or how are we actually living? What is our foundation like? So we start to look at nourishing the body, feeding the body enough fuel, uh, balancing our macronutrients. We start with training, with exercise, and we start her on a program that meets her where she's at. So if energy is a big problem and it could be low energy because of lack of sleep, uh, it also could be low energy because of high stress or lack of energy availability. I know it can be hard. It's kind of like a, a vicious cycle or a vicious loop when we're tired and we have no energy. It's feels harder to move our body and fuel ourselves, you know, prep food, eat food uh, because we're not sleeping. But if we don't do those things, well, then we don't sleep well. So I understand that it can feel like a vicious cycle, but we need to break the cycle. And the first thing that we need to do is picking some of those really big, powerful modulators. And that is we need to find a way to move our body and exercise that meets us where we're at and our energy levels for now. And we need to make sure that we're nourishing the body with enough food, with enough fuel so we can create some stability and safety. Uh, those two things are going to have a really powerful impact on your sleep. So it's going to take some time uh, to build the foundation. And so in the meantime, we can look at a couple of different things, but I'll always start with that phase of, okay, 
let's go to like the root, (laughs) the root of it, which not always, but often, uh, if we nourish the body, create a stronger nutrition strategy, and we start exercising, we start moving the body, in particular, we start walking and we start doing zone two or like low conditioning aerobic that helps us improve mitochondria, you know, energy, it helps us oxygenate the body better. Uh, Those things uh, will powerfully impact your sleep, but they can take time, uh, time to build the strategies, time to see the impact from them. Now, what we can do in the meantime is look at phase two. So we've set the, we set the strategy for phase one, you know, the, the uh, warrior is working on her food, her training, and then, sorry, I've got a piece of Hank's hair in my mouth and I'm trying to talk to you, but, and I'm trying to talk normally why I try and pull the, the dog hair out of my <laughs> mouth, uh, Phase two, the second thing that I look at is your or the warrior's uh, environment. (laughs) And we spoke a little bit about environment in the question around your space. And so this is a huge thing when it comes to our sleep is looking at our sleep hygiene and looking at our environment and creating a sleep ritual that we do. Now, I don't mean a lengthy ritual where we have to sit down and, you know, journal all of our thoughts and meditate and do all of this breath work and listen to all of these meditations. It has to be this big, long process. Uh, And that might work really well for you. I'm not dissing it, okay? Do whatever works really well for you to get amazing sleep. But I'm not a fan of massive morning and evening routines. It's just not my jam. Uh, And so I'll share a little bit about what I do. I'll share where I start with the warriors that I work with. But essentially, we're looking at our environment. What is your environment like? Again, if it's cluttered, if it's messy, if there are a lot of open loops, uh, if it's a bit stressful and chaotic, it's not really regulating the nervous system uh, or down-regulating the nervous system for sleep. So things that we look at is, yeah, mess, is the kitchen clean? Okay, the lighting. The lighting is huge. You know, at nighttime, after dinner, in our house, I turn the lighting down. Low lighting, soft lighting, or just a lamp goes on. No big, harsh lights. You know, we're really trying to to tell the brain that, okay, we want the melatonin to come on naturally. Uh, Even if we can see the sunset, that also really helps the brain know, hey, actually, it's coming into evening time. It's time to bring on the melatonin. It's time to downregulate the nervous system. So we're looking at, yeah, your environment, the mess, uh, the clutter, Uh, We're looking at the lighting. Basically, it's loops, lighting, and leeway. The kind of the three L's that I look at. What open loops do you have? Now, for some people, it could be really helpful to to make some to-do lists, to do some journaling, to have a conversation, to close what loop that they need to. For others, or for me, it's like having a clean kitchen. Uh, I need to close certain loops. So thinking about, 
What are your loops that are open that could be leaking energy? Then the second is lighting, low lighting. Uh, The third is that you need to give yourself leeway. You need to give yourself time to be able to to down-regulate, to enter into sleep. Often what I see is that we're so squished for time that by the time we get the kids down, then we have this like small window of time and we just really want like us time. And so then we're watching a show or we're trying to squish this stuff into this time. And then it's like time for us to go to bed. And so then we try and put ourselves to bed, but we're in an upregulated state. So we actually need the leeway to get into a downregulated state. Uh, and, you know, for me, I have a sleepy tea. I've been having a sleepy tea for like over a decade. I love sitting there with a nice tea. Uh, I'll read for about at least 30 minutes, if not 40, 45 minutes before I go to sleep. So I'll pop myself in bed uh, and I will read. And then often I'll start falling asleep and I'll jump on that kind of sleep um, compression that I feel. And then I'll put on all of my little tools that I need. So my earplugs, my mouth tape, my nose strip, my eye mask, and then we'll, we'll go off to sleep. Now, Sleep hygiene in the bedroom is really big for me. So there is no technology in my bedroom, zero, no TV, no phone. We do have an old Philips alarm clock or like an old school alarm clock that lights up, but we've even turned that off because it actually subconsciously Carson wakes up multiple times if it's on to look at the time. So we actually just turn that off. Uh, So there's no technology. There's nothing in our bedroom. It's dark. We have blackout curtains and it's very cool. And we have a fan on for white noise. I've also been sleeping with earplugs for well over a decade. Uh, A year or so ago, I started to uh, put mouth tape on. I'm being really consistent with that. Uh, A little while ago, I started with nasal strips because I actually have a little bit of a hard time breathing out of my nose. When I was younger, I had to get my tonsils and adenoids taken out. Adenoids are kind of in your uh, nasal um, cavity, uh, sinusy area uh, because I had a really hard time breathing out of my nose. So a nasal strip really helps me breathe better. And then I've just got a new eye mask, which is amazing, and new earplugs. So I'll pop all of those on and those are definitely helping me go into deeper sleep and getting more restorative sleep. I also find that I get deeper, more restorative sleep and I sleep more in winter compared to summer. That's quite a common seasonal thing, especially here in the north where the daylight is, you know, from 5 a.m. until 10.30 p.m. in the height of summer. So we need to be looking at your environment, loops, lighting and leeway. Look at your sleep hygiene. Please do not sleep with your phone in your room. That is just a horrible thing to do. Uh, Again, consciously, you might not think that's a big, uh, big deal. Subconsciously, your body is your subconscious is connected to that phone, to that technology. And that technology is normally very stimulating. If you think about all of the things that you're consuming, so there is like a tether subconsciously 
Uh, and so that's why I'll even shut off the Wi-Fi. You know, you know that's maybe a bit hardcore for some people, but you've got to think of your subconscious and closing those loops. Then the third phase uh, is looking at potentially some supplementation. So I know Huberman Lab talks a lot about his protocol that he uses uh, that has been quite helpful. And so we could look at, okay, do we need an adaptogen to take through the day to help us adapt to stress? Do we need to take some magnesium? Do we need to take L-theanine or GABA or, you know, some kind of little concoction? Again, that only works really well if we're metabolically quite strong. We've got a good food foundation. Uh, but we could use supplementation just to help us potentially break the loop or break the pattern uh, and, and to help us kind of create that new, the new, new pattern, new sleep cycle. So the third phase could be supplementation. Now, there are some other things that we could look at that I'll talk about with my warriors. So viewing sunlight, so going outside within 30 to 60 minutes of waking. And then again in the late afternoon prior to sunset. Uh, So if those two are really key things to kind of trigger that circadian rhythm, the natural circadian rhythm, Uh, If you wake up before the sun is out, try and put on some artificial lights or like a happy light. If it's like a a cloudless day, you know, in the morning time, you want to see about 10 minutes of sun on a cloudy day, about 20 minutes on a very overcast like day here in like the middle of winter where it's raining and gray. We want to try and get 30 to 60 minutes of that light exposure. And for us in the north, in the depths of winter, we get quite minimal light. Uh, you know, it's light f- about 8, 8.30 a.m. And then it gets dark about 3.30, 4 p.m. So we need to use artificial light or an artificial daytime, you know, simulator source. So a happy light or something. We don't want to wear sunglasses in the morning while we're viewing this light, but we can wear them in the afternoon time. We want to try and wake up at the same time each day and go to sleep when you first start to feel sleepy. And I believe, I don't know the exact term that they use. um, It's like sleep compression. It's we'll feel at nighttime, we'll feel this like compression or sleepiness come on us. And we want to try and jump on that. We have this window Uh, And if we miss it, then what can happen is we can kind of get a spike in cortisol, a spike in energy again, and we can, you know, we can be awake for a long time. Uh, So we want to wake up at the same time each day. We want to try and go to sleep at the same time each night. And we really want to jump on that uh, sleep compression feeling that we feel. Uh, Then what else do we want to do? We want to avoid caffeine. (laughs) Uh, We want to avoid caffeine eight to 10 hours before bedtime. So caffeine has a half-life of about five to six hours for an average adult. Now it will depend on how sensitive you are, how quickly you metabolize it. But that means that five to six hours after you drink caffeine, you still have half the amount in your system. So 
we need to be we need to stop drinking it about eight to ten hours before bedtime and so that like a quarter life is somewhere between 10 to 12 hours so sometimes some of us are going to bed going to sleep with a quarter of that caffeine in our body and so caffeine can decrease the amount of deep sleep that we have which is stages three and four of non-REM sleep. And so as a consequence, we wake up the next morning, we don't feel as restored. Uh, We don't feel as refreshed. So it affects our deep restorative sleep. So does alcohol. And I spoke about alcohol on the last Q&A episode. Uh, That also affects our deep uh, restorative sleep. So please try and avoid caffeine I try and drink it before, well, as Carson said to me the other day, it seems like it's getting earlier and earlier every year. Uh, When I was Olympic lifting, I used to have one in the afternoon because I used to train in the morning and then at night. Uh, And then when I stopped lifting, I would try and have mine by 12. But now I try and have my second one uh, no later than like 10, 10 11 a.m. in the morning. Uh, and then the Huberman Lab goes on to talk about some other toolkits. I believe he talks about certain apps which have, um, you know, uh, if they're meditation apps or sound apps that uh, can help uh, with insomnia or can help get you back to sleep if you wake up during the night. Uh, as I said, avoid bright lights. That's a huge one. And avoiding screens, uh, a blue light at night. Uh, those are the main ones, I would say. And he'll go a little bit deeper in that podcast episode that I highly recommend that you check out. Okay, Warrior, I told you she was going to be big, beefy and juicy. She was. I think we went for a long time. I'm not sure how long, but I can tell because my voice starts to get a little like strained. So we've probably been going for over an hour. That normally is my sign to be like, okay, wrap her up, Amy, wrap her up. Your voice is getting a little strained. You've been talking nonstop for like an hour. Uh, it's time to, to, to finish. So we're going to finish. Thanks so much for, I have some more questions here, but I'll save them. I'll do another Q&A a little bit later on. As I said, I love them. So if you ever have any questions for me at any time, just email me or DM me. Uh, I will pop them in my notes section, save them for a Q&A episode. Uh, or if I've done a podcast episode on your particular question, I'll always send you through that podcast episode. Thanks so much for listening. It's a pleasure. I truly appreciate that you whack me in your ears. I love spending this time with you. And bye for now. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another Warrior Woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.